Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Jonathan Dyke. So a big welcome to those of you here for the first time. We've got some in-laws over here and some outlaws over there. There's all kinds of people here. It's good to see you. Uh, for those of you that are kind of new to Kingdom Faith uh, and those of you that aren't, just a reminder that we're in a, we're in a season... Uh, which we're calling Living a Next Step Life. And over the last few weeks, uh, we've been journeying together on what does that look like. And there are, more, there, are, there are four areas that God wants to help you and to me to take a step. And for some of us last week, maybe it was just a, a little step uh, from kind of where we were in terms of our prayer life or our study life or just our worship experience life. Maybe for some of us it was just a little step from actually I just want to love on someone or I just want to serve on someone. But, but God wants to remind everybody that a step is a step. Okay. All right? A step uh, is, is, is wonderful in the heart of God and I think it's good for us to do because what a step shows is that we're, we're making progress. And uh, we're in a, a time of, of God's uh, moving uh, in these last few weeks, we've had kind of times to meet together, extra times during the day, some extra times in the evening. And uh, as we've been doing that, as we've been moving in a different way, God has then been moving in a different way. Is that OK? Uh, if that's not been your experience, then one of the things that maybe we have to move out of is that we don't move with God because of our experience. We move with God because of his incredible love for us. Because of incredible love for you. And uh, part of what we want to look at today is how, how do I make next steps in my worship? So to try and make it really easy, because to be honest with you, I've been grappling with this for, for hours. Um, because the whole, the whole thing about worship is it's ineffably sublime. And those of you that know your hymns, uh, which hymn does that come from? Crown who were many crowns, isn't it? Anyway, good effort. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a hymn that is, is in it. And I remember when I gave my life to Jesus years and years ago, is that uh, I, I, I used to spend quite a lot of time singing, a lot of time uh, kind of just singing the local stuff that was in, you know, Top of the Pops. Can you remember Top of the Pops? Uh, so I'm just trying to forget it. I used to go to lots of concerts where unless your ears were bleeding and your chest hurt, it wasn't loud enough. Uh, that, those kinds of things. So I was very used to having lots of loud noise around me. And um, when I gave my life to Jesus, I realised that without noise, he is noisy. Mm. Without the uh, man-made sound and all of this stuff behind me, it's great, it's brilliant, but it's all man-made. There is something about knowing God that is noisy. Yeah. What I mean by that. It's just his presence, just being with Jesus fills the space of our lives. So when I've been kind of praying about this and talking about this, he's like, Lord, how, how are we going to be able to do this? And, and the simple answer is, is I cannot. All I can do is just share a few thoughts, a few things from the Bible to help us kind of gather our thoughts. But I know right now over your life and your household's life, over the life of where you work, if you work, or wherever you are doing whatever you're doing, is that the Bible says that Jesus right now, right now, right in this moment of time, is praying for you and he's praying for me. Yeah. 
And, and although I don't know that much about Jesus, what I do know is that every prayer of Jesus, God answered. So I, I'm, my hope, my expectation is, is that as Jesus is praying for us, we're just going to see something this morning. Is that okay? So um, that's partly why I prayed at the beginning. But we're going to look at a few, some scriptures uh, and we're going to kind of tackle a few uh, issues, maybe a few preconceptions that maybe you have had. Certainly I've had a few of these. Uh, so I'm going to use some simpler language than maybe some of us are used to because we can often use language to justify our actions. But the, 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 raw, the rawness of just knowing God means that we're going to have to use some simpler words. Worship is about giving worth. Because I don't know whether you realise it or not, but all of us were made by God, it says in Genesis 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image. We were all made, the whole of humanity was made so that they could worship God. And what happened over time is that we've learned how to worship other things other than God. And we all do. Because there is something within the very nature of man that God put there, which was, you can worship me. So I'll just give you some examples. Some of you might get a bit upset. We worship sport. We can worship celebrity. We can worship this person or that person. We can worship ourselves. We can worship the job. We can worship the not having a job. We can worship this shape or that shape or this income or that income. We can worship pets. Come on now. Because all of us were, I'm not saying all those things are wrong. All I'm saying is it just shows you and I that we were made to worship. Well, those are going to be difficult for some of you because it was difficult for me. Because where we give our hearts, where we give our affection, is where we give our attention. And what God wants to help us with, help you with, and he's been helping me with, is to refocus ourselves back on the, the primary reason why God put that into our life is so that we could worship God. Ooh, it's all gone quiet in the room. I had to really unravel in the first years of my life that I used to worship cars, I used to worship sport, I used to worship being good at it, I used to worship not being good at it, I used to worship looking like that, I used to worship not looking like that. And God said to me, he says, what gets your eyesight gets your heart. I said, okay, God, how do I deal with that? And then God said, I'll help you. How are you going to help me, God? How many of you are interested in how God helps us? No. Yes? It's fine because we're going to do this again next week as well because we're not going to unpack all this in 40 minutes. So what God began to show me is what he looks like. Because I know what everything else looks like that I'm worshipping already. I've experienced it, I've tasted it and I've seen it and it's been put into my life. But then suddenly God steps into my life and says, now look at me. Now look at me. So 
We're just going to look through some scriptures about what does, how does the Bible describe what God looks like? Bearing in mind that to describe God, and these two characters, if you're interested, Matthew Bridges in God 3, 3 in 1851 wrote this book. Crown him the Lord of years. It's about verse 3, I think. The potentate of time, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. Glassed in a sea of light, where everlasting waves reflect his throne, the infinite, who lives and loves and saves. I don't know how they saw God like that, but they must have seen God like that. Because when you read some of these uh, hymns, ancient or modern, contemporary, and to be honest, I'm not into ancient hymns if they only reveal an ancient lifestyle. I'm into the modern hymn if they reveal who God is today. So some modern songs, I don't like them because they talk about me. And how many of you know that talking about me isn't good? Talking about you isn't good. Because remember, where our focus is, our affection is. Have you got that? I'm going to keep saying that because it's just a reality. What captures our eyes will capture our heart. And what captures our heart, we, reveal, we reflect in worship. We begin to adore it. We become enticed by it. Then we just begin to live for it and then we can't live without it. And I just want to suggest that actually God is so wonderful. He is so glorious. He is so magnificent that he wants us not to live without him. It is true. So I first read out this scripture, verse 126. God made you and I to be like him. How does God do this? God, some of you may know, if you don't know, here's a bit of a theological exercise for you. God isn't just one person. He's three persons, all interdependent and all codependent, but all different. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And though we haven't gone into some Catholic thing, that is just how God is. It's a little bit like, how do you describe that? Well, I described it very easily. Water can sometimes be ice and sometimes steam. It's still water, just in three different types. That's how I got it. It's like, because I was saying, God, how do you do this? Uh, you know, one minute I'm kind of, I'm worshipping, you know, the Father, and then it's kind of, you know, worshipping Jesus, and all of it is done by the help of the Holy Spirit. And I said, God, it's so confusing. And God said, well, that's, that's not confusing when you know who I am. And we had this really great uh, kind of analogy, which hopefully most of us will, will, will get in the prayer meeting, where, where, the, where Richard was leading the prayer, said, seeing God sometimes is like a kaleidoscope. Do you remember a kaleidoscope? Or how many of you have maybe had a windscreen chip in your car and been out at night and, and the light comes in it and you get a load of refracted light? Say refracted. <laughs> refracted. When we look at God, it's like looking through a kaleidoscope is that you can just change it minutely and a whole different picture opens up in front of you. And it may be for some of you, you've never really seen God. You might have heard about him. uh, You might have heard others talk about him. But today, God wants to show you himself in a fresh way. Hallelujah. So here we find God makes you and I a little bit like him. And then he goes on and says, I'm going to make you so fruitful. And this is part of this season. We're in a season of fruitfulness. 
We were looking at this a couple of weeks ago. How does God want us to be more fruitful? He wants us primarily to be more fruitful in knowing who he is. So when God made you and I, he shaped us and he formed us. And then he sent you and I out to fill the earth. But first he wants to fill your life. And I think there are four particular ways today that God wants to, to touch on in ways that we, he wants to fill our lives. The first one is that God wants to show himself as holy. Now, back in the days when Adam and Eve, you, you know the story, if you don't know the story, then a quick, quick synopsis, is that Adam and Eve had a great relationship with God and a great relationship with themselves and a great relationship with the land that they were in. So over these weeks, we're going to be looking at worship actually is something that you do upwards, something that we do outwards and something that we do in the workplace. If you want to study Hebrew out, and some of you probably do, one of the meanings of worship is to work or to labour. So over these weeks, we're going to look at, right, how do I worship God in a workplace setting? How do I worship God in a home setting? How do I worship God in driving the car to work setting? How do I worship God when I'm standing in a queue for a bus setting? How do I worship God when I turn up on a Sunday morning? Because Sunday mornings are not about worship in the morning. It's just a vehicle to worship God. It is making some sense to someone. So here we find that Adam and Eve, they just worship God. They, they had their personal relationship with God. They had a great relationship with one another. And then suddenly something happened. And then over that time, God wants to restore, and God is restoring right now, the focus of worship, which is himself. And we find little glimpses out of the Bible. So there's another little bit out of the Bible, in the book of Exodus, which is a story of how God delivered millions of people out of being bound and slaved and, and, and underburdened into a place of promise and into a place of fruitfulness, which is what God wants you to have. It might be that you've known God for a while, but maybe your worship kind of experience is pretty dry and pretty boring and pretty repetitive. Well, God didn't save you to worship a dry and boring, repetitive God. He saved you to, to worship a God who was alive. It was vibrant, energetic, full of life. Jesus said of himself, I've come to give you this life. So God wants to revive our worship life, if you like. But in Exodus, in uh, chapter 15, there's this tremendous revelation. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Not what is like you, but who is like you? Majestic in holiness. Just imagine this. This God who made you to worship him is full of majesty. He's more majestic than every head of state, every king, every queen in the entire history of the world. He's more majestic than all of those put together. He's more regal, more sovereign. He has great estate. I mean, it's just, he's just majestic. But he's not majestic in his sense of there's a throne with the name God on it. He's majestic in splendour, in holiness. When we begin to engage with the presence of God, with who Jesus is, we get caught up with his majesty. 
And we were getting a little bit there this morning. I don't know what was happening with you this morning. Uh, maybe your focus was just on whatever. I don't know whether it was, you know, oh, this is working, oh, that's all right. I mean, that certainly was me on a Sunday. Quite often it's me. And I just have to say, right, God, I'm just, I'm not here to make this work. I'm here to serve you. All right, but it's a funny old one. Um, because there's all kinds of stuff going on, just mindful of it. It's like in the middle of it, God says, wait a minute, you're not here for that. You're here for me. And then suddenly, boom, it all falls off. And you just stand in, in utter amazement. God, you're just brilliant. You're just amazing. You're just awesome. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, you should get that all the time. I wish I did, but I wish you did. But this morning, God wants to release a new sense of his majesty. His weight. Not heavy. God is not heavy. God doesn't come down. God didn't make you or me to worship a God who's heavy. You know, if we don't get it right, he gives us a slap. If we don't sing loud enough, he gives us a thump. Or he, he didn't make you or I to have that relationship with him like that. But if we're really going to focus on who Jesus is, then expect the room to get a bit weighty. I've lost count of the number of times we're just focusing on Jesus and he, he consumes you, your thoughts, your words. He consumes your, 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 your what's going to happen kind of process. It goes off in your head. All you are just mindful of is, God, please don't kill me right now. Because I know what you're like, and when I know what you're like, I know what I was like. And then suddenly, in a moment of time, Jesus says, "What well, I set you free. I love you too much to kill you. Come on. And it happens in a microcosm of time. I love you too much to hold you at arm's length. I love you too much to just let you walk past and not come and get involved in your life. I love you too much not to be able to change you. Because sometimes we, we worship our condition that we're in. How do we know what we worship? By what comes out our mouth. Because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I'm not, God isn't saying this to you, and I'm not saying this to you, to have a go. He wants us to write, okay, maybe I should talk about myself too much. Well, we were made to worship, but not worship ourselves. So God is going to show you a bit of it about who he is, not who you are. Maybe we just talk about all the issues. That, well, I have no idea. All I know is, is that we were made to talk about what we worship. That's how we were made. That's how you were made. That's how I was made. And I think God wants to reveal himself in these days in such a powerful way that what comes out of our mouth first is, God, you're just so majestic. You're just so awesome. You're just so fantastic. This scripture in Exodus goes on and says, you're awesome in glory. What's his glory? It's his fat portion, the goodness, the best part of God. It's his nature, his character. But he wants you and I to have this experience that the guys in the book of Exodus did thousands of years before Jesus came to make it all possible, that you're majestic in holiness. You're awesome in glory. You're the worker of wonders. And all of this before God has worked any wonders. 
Because the wonderful thing about God is God is everything. So this holiness, what does it mean in, in English? My understanding of it is there's two halves to holiness. One is what God has set apart himself from, and the other is what God has set himself apart for. God has set himself apart for holiness, purity, righteousness, the Bible calls it, cleanliness, wholeness, all these words which kind of reflect what holiness is, which means he doesn't get involved in things that are not clean or pure. And yet here's the amazing thing about the love of God. When God made Adam... He made him out of a mud pie. He didn't make him out of the best bit of wood, the best bit of tree, the best bit of grass, the best bit of water, the best bit of star, the best bit of cloud. He never made him out of that. It said that he made him out of the mud or the soil that was on the ground. And guess what? There was water bubbling him up out of the ground. What happens when you mix water with soil? You get mud, right? And out of this mud, he made a shape that looks like you. And it was there, this shape on the floor, looking like mud. You, you can have whatever colour mud you want, all right? If you're from one part of town, it's red, another part is brown. Forget the colour. Focus on the condition of the mud. The mud had shape, but it couldn't do anything. And do you know what God did? I'm going to tell you what God did. He reached down. That's the, the big motivator that I have found afresh in my life so that I can release something new to God is that God reached down. He did not say, sort it out, get it right, stop doing that, start doing this. You're too tall, you're too fat, you're too stupid, you're too clever, you're too young. He never said any of that. He said he reached down. And in a moment of universal time and history, God came down to the level, if you like, of a mud pie form that looked like you and me. And what did he do? He kissed it. Again, for you that are Hebrew scholars, and I'm sure some of you are, one of the root words for worship is to kiss the hand of. But where did that come from? It came from how God responded to us. The first act of worship in the entire Bible was God towards you and me. Come on. What does that mean today? What it means to me and what I think it means to all of us is whatever condition your, your body is telling you, whatever condition your soul life is telling you, whatever condition your mental life is telling you, it could all be mud in your eye. It could all be just horrible, but let me tell you, if you let God, he'll come and kiss it and he'll change it forever. He'll come and transform it eternally. Why? Because he loves you. God didn't do it because he had to. Or did he? I think the love of God is so unique, so powerful, it's so beyond our comprehension that God did have to. <laughs> he had to come and touch what he'd made. He wants to come and touch your life. He wants to come and touch my life. His love 
I was going to say commands it. His love demands it. When he looks at our lives, his love cannot leave our lives alone. He wants to come and touch. He wants to come and cleanse. He wants to come and set us free. He wants to come and bring wholeness. Why? So that we can arise out of the pile that we might be in and reflect back and say, God, you are majestic in holiness. You are awesome in your glory. You are the worker of wonders. Oh, hallelujah. It's, it's a difficult one to talk about worship without talking about your own kind of worship. The hours, hours, hours which just pass like that because all you're aware of is that you're a mud pie and God is awesome. Come on. You're not thinking about what do people think? Uh, what does it sound like? What does it look like? Do I like the music or not? Because this is a mythology. Worship is not for me. Worship is for God. <laughs> well, I didn't like the song they sang. Then you're worshipping yourself. Well, it was too loud. It was too quiet. Get over yourself. God wants to help us get over ourselves. What we want to be doing is tapping into, I'm just a bit of mud. But I'll tell you, God loves it. God loves it. God wants, as a passion, God has a desire. The Bible talks about God in so many other ways. That he's powerful, he's majestic in holiness, as we've read. He's wonderful, he's the Prince of Peace, he's awesome. We've read that, he's glorious. He's... There's loads and loads and loads and loads of aspects. It's like this kaleidoscope. And in my experience... I've never met with God in all of those aspects because if I think I did, it would kill me. Just knowing that God, is, God loves me blows my mind because I know me. You don't know me. You think you know me. Some of you think that you think that you know me, but none of you do. Only God knows me. But God knows you in exactly the same way and he still wants you to know him. And this is mind-blowing. God knew it was a pile of mud. But he still wanted the pile of mud to know him. <laughs> we can't comprehend it with our brain. We just have to say that's either true or it's not true for me. It is true because God is always true. So it's about God giving worth. So he's holy, he's pure. He, he, he wants our, our life to be a life set apart and set apart for, for everything that God is. He knows our past. He knows our history. But he also knows that we can either live as a result of it or we can just accept, right, that's just brought me to this point. Now I can live differently. God is love, and I've mentioned that loads of times. What's his love like? It's immeasurable, the Bible says. It's unconditional. It's immovable. The Bible even says it's indestructible. Love conquers all, the Bible says. Well, there, there's a lot of stuff going on out there which we can't conquer. We can't even conquer our own lives. We always end up doing things that we know we shouldn't, but we do, and don't do things that we know we should and we don't. We can't conquer our lives, but the love of God comes in to conquer our life. 
He wants to conquer your life today and mine. He wants to rule and reign in it and through it in a new way. He's a creator. Again, we find this in Genesis. Out of nothing at all, God makes everything. Nothing made God. God made everything. And God wants to create something new in your life, new in my life. How does he do that? Usually through his word. He speaks. Then the power of God forms the word and makes them real. God wants to speak into your life this morning. But not just so that you go back saying, oh, God really spoke to me, but God's really changed me today. It's not just that I met with God in the worship, but I took him out the room as well. And then above, around all of these, and this is a whole new dynamic maybe for, for all of us, is that this God who loves you is Father God. That's a mind blow. Well, I had a good dad. He was all right. But absolutely nothing compared with Father God. Who, whenever you go, is always looking for you. Whenever you run, he runs faster towards you. Whenever you look up, he's already looking down. Whenever you say anything, he's already listening, ready to say something else. In fact, the Bible says he already knows what's in your mouth before you say it. This father is total intimacy beyond anything that we would ever experience here as mud pie. But the father knows every thought, every, every motive, everything within your heart and he still wants to love on you. <laughs> he still wants the best. He's not like a brother. Sometimes get jealousies amongst peer pressures. He's father who steps back and says, yeah, come on, I'm going to help you do that. But constantly saying, you're a champion. You're a successor. You're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. You're victorious. You're one of mine. You belong to me and I belong to you. This is the heart of the Father. It has no secret agenda, no motive, no hidden thing that one day is going to pull out this card and say, oh, remember that. God just wants to love on you. 100% of 100% of the time is God is Father. Hallelujah. Isaiah 57, 15. This is such a powerful little scripture. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. He says this, I live in a high and a holy place. I'm set apart, but, just say but, but, but also, say also, this is the wonderful, the wonderful heart of God. God doesn't say, I live in a holy place, tough. My life is so pure, my life is so holy, my life is so right, my life is so correct, that you're just going to have to work it. He never says that, he says, but also. What a God, what a Father, what a Saviour, what a Lord. But also, with the one, are you the one? Do you want to be the one? I love that. There's so many times in the Bible where God is 
huge. He works on a huge universal palette. In the middle of it, he's interested in you. One of the Psalms says, what is man that you are mindful of him? God, you created everything. Every single thing which we're now finding out about. All these millions of pounds spent on sending a rocket here and Japanese satellite there and a Chinese thing here. Made all of that and you can know him. Save your money. <laughs> Go to church. He says, but I'll also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. What does that mean? It means we recognise we're a mud pie. But that's a good thing. We don't beat ourselves up about it. We recognise that in my life there's nothing good. So I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And suddenly, everything that is good comes from God. I can't do anything on my own. But when I give my life to Jesus, he can do everything he wants through me. It's a good deal. But also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive. There's so many churches, and I know some of them, that say, we need revival, we need revival. No, what we need is Jesus. Revival is mythology. Revival is living the normal Christian life. If you want a good definition of revival. It's living for Christ in this kind of way. It's to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And Mark, in the New Testament, puts it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say all your heart. All your and with all your soul. All your and with all your mind. All your and with all your strength. All your and here's the cost. There's nothing left for you. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of not there with all of this yet. I don't worship God with all of my heart. But I really want to. I really need to. I don't worship God with all of my strength. I really want to. And I really need to. And I don't worship God with all of my mind either. I really want to and I really need to. Because again, what I've realised, I'm just going to remind you, because some of you might not know this, is that really to worship God, we need God to help us. Otherwise, it's just singing songs and saying words. And God never intended worship to be like that. He intended our worship to be about encounter. That's God's heart. And I've heard this said in the environment that I tend to work in a lot, is that God is far more passionate and deliberate and he desires far more to meet with you and me than I ever do to meet with him. And I thought, you're, you're having a laugh. But actually it's true. It's true. However we experience God or not, God loves you, he's holy, he loves you, he's a creator and he's a father. And if you, if you will let him, because he, he loves you too much to force you, he loves you too much to make you, but when we realise how much he loves us, the first thing we want to do is, God, that's amazing. 
I remember when I gave my life to Jesus and I suddenly woke up without any gnawing away of being a failure and just not being able to do this or do that and this whole thing in you that, that makes you want to achieve. He just took the whole lot away. And all the stirring up and all of the trials and all the... And suddenly you woke up and it's like, just peace there. Oof, flip. It doesn't matter and it's all right. What matters is, God, you're in the room with me. Let's all stand up, shall we? We're not going to be able to cover all of this, arguably, while we're still alive and breathing. All we want to do is to just prime the pump a little bit. And as I was praying about this morning, I said, God, this is just so awesome. It's just such a big sum. How can you talk about God in 40 minutes? It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And God said, well, don't, don't talk about me. Let me talk about me. Because he says a lot more in less time than we do. So why don't you just open up your mind to the possibility that God really loves you? He really does. He really, really does. Because he is love. He knew you before you were formed. He knew you before you were born. He knew you before you made your first cry and your first mistake. He knew you when you did it wrong and he knew you when you tried to do it right. He knew you when you were up, he knew you when you were down. He knew you when you were having a success, he knew when you were dipping out. And he still loves you. (laughs) And in that moment, millennia ago, he loved you from that moment. He knew you and he loved you from that moment. Sometimes it's like, God, can God love, can God love me? Yep, he does love you. He loves us all, but don't hide behind that. He loves you passionately. He would move heaven and earth for you. He ransomed his son for you. He sent his best for you. He gives his best to you if you'll let him. This is the God who is a good father, creator, who fills everything in every way, who sends nothing bad. Only good things come from God, the Bible says. That's God. Who wants to be intimate with all of us so that we wake up every morning with a sense of God, thank you that you're here. Not just saying it into the void of space, but saying out of the presence of God. Is it through the day we're just aware of God, I just love you, I just want to give you something, I just want to serve you somehow. That's worship. And we'll unpack that a little bit more as next week. says, God, I, I'm just here to serve you, I'm just a bit of mud pie. But you're holy, you're loving, you're the creator and your father. God, I just want to love you back. And sometimes God will put people in front of you to see just how true you are. (laughs) So, Father, I want to thank you for the working of your Holy Spirit right now. Just as people wrote about in the Bible, open up the eyes of our heart so that we would know you. 
and I pray that for everyone here, that no one at all would leave here from the kids group, from the youth group. No one would leave without a sense that you love them. You love them with a passion. You love them with a purpose. You have a desire for them. You long to be with us every moment of every day. And I thank you, God, that you sent Jesus to make that possible. And just take a moment, just as we kind of draw this to a close, just take a moment to meditate. Meditate is a word which God invented and the world stolen it. Meditate on this reality. God loves you. And he didn't just say it with words. He proved it through his activity. He loves you. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com. 